The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Welcome back, everybody. This is Squawk Box. Your headlines this Monday. An oil price war evolving. Crude prices crash 30% in the worst drop since the Gulf War as Saudi Arabia floods energy markets. Looking to punish Russia for obstructing OPEC plus output cuts. Asian stock markets plunge with the Nikkei hitting a 14-month low. Australia's benchmark index posting its worst fall since the financial crisis. U.S. futures trade limit down, pointing to another rough day on Wall Street. U.S. 10-year Treasury yields hitting a new record low as the prospect of rates turning negative becomes a reality, whilst the 30-year yield goes below 1% for the first time ever. Over 16 million people are put into lockdown in Italy as the government takes drastic measures to stem the worst outbreak outside of China. But leaks of the action cause confusion and a rush across regional borders. Four French MPs are hospitalised with coronavirus as the Macron government bans large public gatherings. Finance Minister Bruno Le Maire is due to speak this hour. Prices have crashed by almost one-third, marking the biggest drop since the 1991 Gulf War. This after Saudi Arabia effectively declared a price war following Russia's refusal to agree to a supply cut. The level 3006 is where we're trading on WTI. The plunge 27% and on Brent 33.80. We have now shed 25% in this daily session. So seismic move is what we're witnessing on these commodity trades. According to Reuters sources, Saudi Arabia plans to increase production to well above 10 million barrels per day. The kingdom has announced the largest cut to its selling price in at least three decades, if not ever. Friday's failed talks mark an end to the three years of cooperation among OPEC and non-OPEC producers at a time when the spread of coronavirus has weighed on oil demand. And of course, I think many of you know uh, the changes that are happening to consumption habits, people not going into work, so less usage of fuel, the travel changes, uh, people cancelling business and leisure flights. So already on the demand side and across an emerging markets on top of that as well, the shutdowns in production has already had a dramatic impact. So these supply changes, another layer on top. In terms of the trends we've seen, there's been a huge flood of money into safe havens and that has had dramatic consequences on some of the yields we've seen in the States. Just keep in mind when we started out the year on the US 10-year Treasury, 1.87 was the level. We've gone all the way back to point. Four, seven on the 10-year. So effectively, we've shared more than 130-odd basis points on this trade. The short-end watch to 0.31. The market now calling on the Fed to move by 75 basis points at its next meeting, starting to price that in, which is just dramatic if you think about all the attempts to rebuild some ammunition for the next financial crisis or the next downturn. We've already seen the Fed give away 50 basis points. Could they really give much more away in the same month in reaction to what uh, could be unknown of 
events over the course of this year. At this point, no one knows how long coronavirus will persist for. Want to take you to what we're seeing on the gold trade. There's been a little bit of movement this morning. We're mostly tracking lower at this point, 1671. Uh, investors, typically, as we saw that risk-off move on the back of coronavirus fears, have pushed up gold, but also sold it at different points when you've seen cashing in to try and liquidate some trades. And a little bit of that going on this morning. Don't forget, as we brace for that oil impact on markets now, another market event anticipated. And for some of the Asian markets, it's almost like catching a falling knife because you've seen that extreme selling on the back of coronavirus and then another leg down on the back of the oil market. And that's particularly the case for the Australian market. There have been very few days to get out of some of these trades. On Wall Street, you've seen days where there have been sizable moves to the upside, giving you an exit level. For Australia, there's been no exit point for those that have been long in the market. 7.3% down in this daily trade for the Australian market. Elsewhere, those safe haven flows have made it very difficult for the Japanese yen that has moved sharply versus the US dollar and that has stripped about a thousand points off the Japanese stock market. Let's see what we're setting up for today on those US futures. Sharply lower again is what we're anticipating. Uh, I want to just put in perspective what we've now lost on markets, about 12.5% off the recent 52-week high on the Dow, which is already in correction territory. So more selling prompted by this oil war around pricing could have another impact on the index levels. We were actually tracking higher uh, for the course of last week in context with the, the losses of 12.5%. So those days where we saw movement to the upside to just reclaim a little bit of that lost territory meant the markets were still perched high. But this morning, we might see another sell-off, which would take us to much lower levels for that 52-week reversal from those highs. Uh, Hadley joins us for more from Abu Dhabi with the latest on these oil moves. Hadley, just uh, talk us through from your lens, from your perspective. Hey, good morning, Karen. So absolutely right. This has far-reaching implications, not just for OPEC, but OPEC plus Russia, Saudi Arabia, this region, and no doubt about it, the U.S. shale industry, and frankly, the U.S. presidential election. Now, NYMEX crude sitting right now around $30 a barrel. Earlier this morning, it was off about 33%. It hit below $29 a barrel. This has significant implications, no doubt about it, for Saudi Arabia. That's a country that seemingly has taken it to the mattresses, as they say, and in instituting a price war. Listen in to what Dan Jurgen told me earlier today when I asked him, are we going to see $20 a barrel? We're certainly seeing oil in the, in the 20s. And if this kind of uh, uh, panic continues, this financial contagion combined with the virus contagion, uh, we could certainly see oil prices lower. I would say that uh, it's not a question of whether a price war is going to begin. It has begun. And that's as you're talking about this morning. And the backdrop to it all is, of course, the virus itself. That's what really splintered the alliance. Uh, in the first quarter of this year, we think at IH just market that oil demand is going to be four, almost 4 million barrels a day lower than it was in the same quarter last year. And that's what got uh, uh, Saudi Arabia and Russia uh, at odds with each other on uh, the end of last week in Vienna. It has now led to this uh, extraordinary collapse. A couple of things we're going to be watching very, very closely from this region is what kind of response we're going to see coming out of the United States in the next 24 to 48 hours, particularly from the president. There was a, an idea when I was speaking to Dan earlier this morning that this politics of fear, uh, this pervasive sense of fear 
certainly having a major impact on not just global equity markets, but also on the oil market as well. And it was really interesting to note uh, the conversations that I was having, frankly, guys, over the weekend off the record with folks not just here in the UAE, but in Saudi Arabia specifically. You know, what are going to be the consequences of this decisive action by Saudi Arabia? And we're seeing it playing out in the early hours of trade in Asia and here as well. Now, one of the things as well that we're watching very closely, how is Saudi Aramco doing, given what we've seen over the last 24 hours? Yesterday, this was a stock that was off by 9%. It hit 30 reals per share. That's the lowest price that we've seen uh, shares of Aramco trading since that IPO. Today, they opened 27 reals, so down 10% since this crash in prices uh, already. And frankly, a lot of eyes will be on what happens in the next 24 hours as we continue through the trading day here in the Middle East. Guys. Excellent work there, Hadley. Thank you very much indeed. Here's a sober voice. The Norwegian finance minister says Norwegian economy is solid, is used to handling variations in the oil price uh, Adding Norwegian oil firms are better able to cope with the fall in oil price now than in 2015. Well, let's um, let's get another voice on this. Uh, delighted to welcome back to the show Johannes Benini, chairman and founder of JBC Energy Group. Johannes, uh, you know I value what you think. Um, lots of questions. Who's selling? Uh, is it machines or is it people? <laughs> well, first of all, everyone is selling right now. Uh, nobody expected this outcome. Remember, OPEC was always good to protect uh, some kind of price range. So everyone felt comfortable when they meet that they would do their homework. The fact that they failed so miserably in, in doing what they usually do uh, came as a big surprise. But you can you, you already saw after the OPEC ministerial conference on Thursday uh, that things are a little bit unusual. Yeah? And uh, we have seen them coming out with uh, basically a demand. Um, and, you know, it was only about Russia whether they accept the demand or uh, there is no deal. And apparently, uh, we go back to what we spoke together two weeks ago or one week, whenever it was. Uh, there, there is a difference in, in uh, objectives. You know, the Saudis um, want to have prices relatively high in the 60s, 70s, and uh, Russia is content with $50. That's what Putin also said last week. In terms of um, what this has done to the world economy as well, now we know that everybody's worried about recession, but an oil price that was trading significantly above $70 a barrel is now on a WTI measure with a two-handle as well. I know you said everyone's selling, but there are people who just buy because they have to buy because they're fueling their economy. Is this transfer of wealth from producers to consumers going to actually act as some kind of boost for some economies? It's absolutely fantastic. Uh, we are experiencing within a short period of time a demand shock with Corona and a supply shock now with OPEC. I mean, figuring that out is is absolutely amazing. You know, it's, it's like we're making history here. You can call it now a world war oil. Yeah, it's not that actually Saudi Arabia is taking on Russia, which everyone is talking about. They may do that, but Russia always said they want to take on a little bit more the shale industry. And by Saudi Arabia actually now declaring war, they are front running the Russians in declaring war on U.S. shale. And uh, clearly, the question arises whether this is really about OPEC plus politics, because the gap between Russia and Saudi Arabia may not have been that big, right? The, the Russians were ready to continue the cuts of 2.1 million barrels, right? And now they have nothing. So it's like, really, you don't, you don't want to cut 2.1 together? you rather go for a full-fledged war? Um, now you can see that, uh, you know, they go for a full-fledged war. And the question is really, is this 
the real reason, or is there politics involved, involving aspects of uh, you know regional politics uh, or global politics? Um, two quick questions, Johannes. One is that uh, I've seen a lot of people interpreting this development through the prism of an attack on U.S. shale producers, and that this this is ultimately about trying to push any weak hands out of the market by squeezing them in some form of credit event. One, do you believe it? And two, who do you think the weak hands are? Well, there are a lot of smaller players uh, that in the price crash in 2014-15 uh, had to agree on, uh, you know, five, six, seven year uh, refinancing deals. Uh, these companies that are now not yet locked in into new financing deals um, are clearly on the edge of bankruptcy. And uh, that will be, you know, clearly cleaning uh, up the U.S. shale patch. But of course, what it means is that the bigger players will be able to pick up uh, cheaper assets. Um, Right now, it's fantastic time for M&A business. Um, it's a complete, um, you know, change in direction. Um, as I said, you know, the question is: to what degree is Saudi Arabia actually doing Russia a favor uh, by picking up on the argument of Russia, um, and why? You know, why would they do that? Why would they not consolidate current cuts, continue them, revisit them every month and uh, literally talk the market up while we don't know where demand goes? I mean, let's bear in mind, nobody knows how Corona impacts demand, really. And Russia playing it a little bit more careful, being more happy with $50 seems to be much more sustainable than trying to push the prices through the roof. Johannes, we've got to say goodbye, but thank you so much for the analysis. Johannes Benini, chairman of the JBC Energy Group. Um, let's have a quick look at where we are on the Italian um, bond market. This is um, a snapshot of what we're seeing. We bring this up because we've actually seen uh, bond futures moving, uh, a dive of 280 ticks on virus fears, while German bond futures were up 103 ticks in early European trade. The um, market, of course, having to respond to the fact that the Italian government has effectively locked down a large swathe of northern Italy, 25% of the country's population, and the, um, the prime business heartland of Lombardy. Let's bring in our guest host, Salman Ahmed, Chief Investment Strategist at Lombard ODA Investment Managers, is with us. Salman, good morning to you. Look, you guys have sat around and, and had chance to have a think about where this goes next. I think a lot of people have been taken by surprise at just how widespread the selling has been now in all asset classes. Um, what do you do next? Look, I think uh, uh, in terms of, as you mentioned, Jeff, uh, yes, the selling has been widespread in asset classes, but I think credit is the one which has been the weakest in the chain. So even though I think a lot of news flow is focusing on equities, the uh, the speed of the move we are seeing in credit is actually surpassing what we saw in 2008, 2009. So that's something I think which is creating a cascading effect. Uh, liquidity is getting stressed. And I think the fear now, right now is that, yes, there is a fundamental shock with coronavirus. There is uncertainty around you know how this ends up and you know when the peak infection rates will reach but in the short term this credit stack which the central banks have been supporting with very very low rates 
is under a lot of pressure. Is it just in oil? Because we've seen obviously a huge move in credit markets in recent years across in technology. Definitely, uh, Karen. I think uh, oil obviously adds another layer of uh, you know pressure on credit markets. Around 10% of a lot of these indices is oil. But if you look at the numbers of last week when oil was not the main source of volatility, I think the speed of the moves, according to our analysts, was you know 10 times faster than we were seeing in 2008-2009, and that's very very worrying. Um. Liquidity issues in credit. I always, I, in my, my very brief time in my entire career, where I tried to trade convertible bonds, and I gave up very quickly because I hated the illiquidity in credit. And that was during a, a very fluid market as well. So when we talk about credit markets, we have to basically make the premise that they are always illiquid anyway for anyone who's looking at any other form of tradable product as well. And in order to have a credit event, you need a two-way market. You need people to actually be able to be sell, selling. In your experience, will people actually be able to sell their credit? exposure in markets like this. My understanding is they'll find it very difficult to get on the trade. I think, Steve, it's a great point you mentioned. We are seeing significant dislocations between CDS and cash bond markets. So last week, there wasn't a lot of uh, you know pressure on cash. That's where the key risk comes in, as you mentioned, that these illiquidity events become discontinuous. So if now cash starts to come out of the system, now people have been hedging in CDS space to you know offset the exposure they have got in credit. But if the, you know, uh, the exit becomes comes very, very narrow, that's when you get discontinuous moves. And Carol's absolutely right to ask about it being the canary in the coal mine, because it has been historically. Uh, and so my question is because, and the other thing, dare I say, our, our equity audience watching who trade equities far more than they trade credit as well, have to realise that credit in terms of the pecking order for companies under distress are down here, below the ticker that you can see on the screen there. Uh, and credit somewhere around about here as well. So if there is distressed credit, are we going to start seeing the legions apparently of dry powder from various constituencies in the market start coming in and trying to pick up that credit? I think that is possible. Yes, we know that with real rates negative across the board now, even in the US that you know that hunt for yield can take over but I think for the uh, to uh, to get to that stage I think the fear factor has to stabilize and I also what the central banks can do because it is very uh, getting clearer that their effectiveness is getting also you know coming under a lot of pressure as well. So I take your point on fear factor but something is just genuine and repricing isn't it around potential losses or, or just a change in outlook and airlines have been very hard hit on the back of coronavirus fears as you've seen business leisure travel cut. But then this morning, if you look at this slump you're seeing in the oil price, the crash, effectively it has an implication across some of these companies yet again. Air France KLM hedged at 65% of its uh, oil exposure for 2020 at $65 a barrel. We've moved a fair way off $65 a barrel with this crash. So clearly some, some losses on those hedging positions. That's just one company yeah. in the airline space. So don't we get more of a sell of again to reprice this oil impact for markets? Definitely. I think uh, I would expect expect this week to be very, very, uh, you know, problematic for uh, uh, for credit, especially, and then this the contagion to spread. And I think what you're mentioning is a is a powerful force, which people tend to forget that you know a lot of these players do hedge with a long term, uh, uh, you know, focus. And this is uh, extraordinary moves. And I think that's where the danger comes in that you know we are used to central banks bailing us out. And that's where my fear is that this time around they may not be able to have that a they don't have the ammunition and the dry powder. And B, the effectiveness of those tools in this environment is also questionable. We're going to come back. You're going to stay with us. We'll take the break. A lockdown in northern Italy as the coronavirus outbreak continues to hit the country. We'll get you an update from Milan when we return.
If you enjoy Squawk Box Europe, check out the Brave Ones podcast. The series explores the rise of some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs. Through exclusive interviews with family, friends and colleagues, the Brave Ones podcast features stories of determination, resilience and ingenuity. Available on Apple Podcast, Spotify and Google Play. The Brave Ones podcast presented by Credit Suisse. Uh, welcome back. Uh, if you, I'm going to say this because there are people in the market who are short and doing incredibly well out of this as well. So I know the bias on financial news channel is to look at the rest of the world who are long the market. And naturally, of course, because I have a pension, I am too. So I'm not saying this from any smug point of view. Uh, but the fact of the matter is some of you will be making a lot of money because of your negative bets on the market today. So congratulations for calling the market right. That aside, there are some very big concerns about the market, about recessions, uh, about credit worthiness and about a whole host of other issues, which is leading to these numbers, which is the CAC 40 futures down 9%, the FTSE futures, which we haven't seen a sub 6,000 reading on, I think, to my mind, since the 27th of June 2016, which is the Monday after Brexit, when the market got down to a 58 handle and then rallied aggressively. This is very different, of course, in many ways. So we are called down now to 8 0.5% lower, 549 points on the FTSE. The Zetradax futures, and there is a world before coronavirus fears, and that was shown in the German industrial data today, which was actually rather respectable for January. But again, that is historic now. I think we have to move on. 6.65% uh, lower, uh, and the CAC Carant down 9.2%. France has banned gatherings of more than 1,000 people in order to delay the spread of coronavirus. President Emmanuel Macron held an emergency meeting on Sunday as the total number of confirmed cases crossed over 1,100. Four French lawmakers are among those infected. 19 people have now died due to the virus. Charlotte joins us with more. Charlotte, doesn't it install much confidence when some of your senior ministers or ministers have actually caught coronavirus, a little bit like what we saw in Iran. But when it comes to the handling and the health system's preparedness, what would you say about it versus what we're seeing in Italy at this stage? Well, that is the whole strategy here of the French government. They stayed in that emergency meeting that you mentioned yesterday. Uh, they decided to stay at level two of emergency, that's out of three, when three is real pandemic. They say, so far, we have clusters of epidemic. Uh, we have it in all regions, but it's not yet circulating freely in the whole territory. And that's why they said at the moment it's still level two and not level three. Uh, still, the strategy is very much trying to slow the progression so that emergency services are not completely overwhelmed. Uh, they say we will get to level three at some point, but they try to delay this as much as possible. That's why schools and uh, nurseries are closed in those two cluster areas, but still remain open everywhere else. Um, they close also in Corsica. There's a new cluster that opened over the weekend. Uh, um, they said they keep activities. So this number of gatherings, remember, the previous uh, order was uh, 5,000 people in enclosed space. Now it's 1,000 people anywhere. Uh, apart from, and I quote here, uh, activities are necessary to the life of the nation. And that would include protests, uh, but also exams and public transport. So they try to have this balancing act for the moment of not trying to stall completely the economic activity and also morale of the population while trying to safeguard and protect the population. Um, they, as you said, you have four MPs that are sick at the moment. Um, luckily, the National Assembly is closed because of the campaigning, the mayoral election uh, that is actually first run happening 
happening this weekend. So far, it's still going ahead. We don't know whether, depending on how the epidemic is going this week, whether it will be delayed or not. But at the moment, it is maintained because uh, the National Assembly uh, at the moment is, is closed, luckily, while these MPs have been taken sick. So I'm going to bring you in because what we've seen on markets, there's been a huge focus around Italy. And when you've seen lockdowns take place, there's a market event yet again where you see more, uh, more selling take place in that particular region. Could this be the case as coronavirus sweeps across different jurisdictions if you do get more lockdowns impact to just general consumption patterns so you get more exacerbated market sell-off in particular places whether it's France whether it's Germany whether it's the UK definitely I think uh, uh, the read-through from Italy is that these kind of quarantines uh, can spread and I think uh, the template was uh, given to us by China and I think uh, uh, nobody thought we would adopt it in Europe uh, you're right I think uh, when China was doing it there were a lot of uh, different voices that whether this is you know consistent with democracy or not but I think uh, uh, what everybody is focusing on is the result of that. What you see is that China, the infection rate has fallen below one, which means that, you know, uh, the net infection rate is coming down. So it seems that the quarantine did work. So there's a lot of pressure on any country which uh, which is seeing exponential increase in outbreaks to adopt that method because it did work. And uh, one point I would also mention is in the background, high frequency numbers in China is showing that the resumption of work activity is going quite fast. So that adds to another uh, layer that if we take the pain now, we may be able to avoid and start to recover pretty soon. How concerned should we be that this is beginning to expose even further cracks in the EU at this point? One of the issues that I know Charlotte will be aware of, France, Germany, the Czech Republic have all put bans on the export of protective clothing now, even to other neighbouring European countries. EU officials were there on Friday trying to encourage them to be more open and to share these goods, but so far the national governments are not willing to do that. Any concerns at all about what this means for the euro and potential fissures in relationships? I think, Jeff, you mentioned a very important point because I think one of the major long-term implications of this uh, uh, virus situation and the fact that, you know, we have so many long supply chains, even for simple products like paracetamol and Panadol, that, you know, uh, there will be a focus on, you know, insourcing some of these uh, products. And I think this creates, uh, uh, puts the spotlight on this issue. Even in EU, you can't get unity. And I think markets-wise, uh, what I am concerned about in the EU side of things is, you know, uh, a, a a widening in the spreads in Italy and other periphery countries where we know that there's not a lot of, uh, you know, confidence and, and unity when it comes to bailing out uh, the, the, the weaker countries. So that becomes an immediate market concern as well. Yeah, I mean, it's ironic that, you know, through Brexit and the negotiations, we've talked a lot about the free movement of goods within Europe. This is a case where countries are voluntarily choosing not to allow the free movement of goods. Well, you also have countries allow for in, in moments of emergency, like some mechanisms and, and the EU and Brussels are happy to close their eyes on this at the moment. And we'll see probably with all these stimulus packages coming probably in Italy, etc. as well, where in moments of crisis, um, national governments just go ahead with what they want to do. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.